You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clenergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. Sunwiz, Australia's leading service provider of the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy. One step off the grid and the EV focus, the driven. And joining me as usual is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, I, um, how's your past fortnight been? My past fortnight? Uh, it's, been, it's been okay. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not often you get asked you know, how your fortnight has been, but um, <laughs> this is a fortnightly pod, podcast. So, um, well, a know. lot happens in a, for, in a fortnight, you know. <laughs> I, so I spent, the, I spent uh, almost a week of it very sick, actually. Oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah, I think I had a dose of the Rona. Um, it came up negative, 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 but um, yeah, had all the symptoms and uh, it was it was a bit of a shit week, if I'm honest, that, that past week, uh, but uh, negative, 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 and you know, I'm firing on all cylinders, the brain's starting to kick into gear for 2022, I'm getting angry about things, I'm getting excited about things, so you know, it's not a bad two weeks. For some of okay, that. Okay. Okay. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Look, I mean, look, you know, it's uh, look, fortnight's a hard one. I mean, it's um, it's just like it's a, it's a, it's a time span where fortnight. people our age um, forget things. Well, look, I've forgotten already. Um, <laughs> it, um, if I just go back to today, it started off with a really nice surf. Um, yes, and then ran quickly into trouble with um, going into the vast metropolis that is now Byron Bay with all those Sydney siders and those Melbourne siders up there now. The attitudes change, the queues are jumping. Someone called me a bald headed something or other today, and I thought, well, that's pretty observant. There you go. My, so, my, one of my favorite Facebook pages actually is shit parking in Byron Bay. If you haven't checked it out, <laughs> check it out. It's a page dedicated entirely to those people who would have been, you know, serving out spurious comments about the state of your hairdo, um, who are notoriously bad at parking expensive cars in Byron Bay. It's hilarious. I wanted to feel a picture of my Tesla outside the um, takeaway coffee shop this morning. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a candidate. <laughs> I'd have to be a candidate. <laughs> Nigel, um, things are getting you annoyed. Look, it sounds like um, look, we're heading to an election. It's going to be in May. We know that. Oh, yeah. We don't know a date yet. It's going to be something like five or six or seven weeks after the budget, which comes down late March. But um, mm. there's no doubt about it. Uh, we're in an election campaign. I don't know whether you caught Scotty from marketing with his ukulele, which sounds like it's something you thought of a week a week ago. And I can learn the ukulele. And... Um, Poor guys from Dragon suggested that at least he could alert the second line of his song. But anyway, um, um, but we're just we're starting to see some um, some more nonsense. It's just going to be it's going to be fairly intense, I think. Um, we've had we've had Peter Credlin and the resources meter Keith Pitt um, producing all sorts of nonsense about renewables and loss of coal industry and gas industry jobs. Um, Thousand percent nonsense. A thousand, percent a thousand percent nonsense, according to uh, an excellent analysis that I read on your esteemed website today, where they overinflated the numbers of jobs by a thousand percent, no less. Yeah, yeah, 
uh, unbelievable. But um, but yeah, but look, um, look, there's some good news out there. Uh, I think there was a hundred gigawatts of solar, um, wind and storage pumped hydro projects, um, battery projects promoted, um, um, filed for submission in the new Central Hunter Central Coast Hunter Valley. Um, uh, renewable energy zone. Um, yeah, yeah. Just extraordinary. I mean, just the amount of gigawatts that have actually just been proposed under these sort of four or five uh, renewable energy zones um, being done by New South Wales. But actually, kind of remains to be seen whether they can actually get these things organised and done in such a way that these things get rolled out in time. Um, and I was listening to another uh, webinar this afternoon. Apparently, there's about 400 gigawatts of various projects, wind, solar storage and hydrogen and battery uh, battery. Um, in in the pipeline in Australia now, not all of those will be built, but it just points to just the level of interest. And 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 I, I guess going back to what Credlin and Keith Pitt were talking about, it's just the level of opportunity that's out there for Australia to embrace. I mean, just in in, in terms of investment, in terms of jobs created, in terms of yes. new industries established, wow. in terms of lowering costs um, across six the million board. jobs. It's going to be six million um, jobs. Apparently, you can just make a claim about how many jobs there are going to be without having any data to back it up. There's going to be six million <laughs> jobs in those gigawatts of renewables. There you go. Heard it here first. Oh, there you go. There you go. Fact. Because anyway. we just Fact. said it. We just make it up, and you can just say whatever you want. <laughs> Apparently, if you're a minister or a news reporter, you can just make make job numbers up. There you go. Six million jobs. Six million jobs. Well, fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> Western Australia. <laughs> so I just, I'm so, I'm so, I can't believe we've got a federal government minister who can get away with such outright lies. Well, I really want to know when the government's going to rein in these lies about renewables. There is an election coming, you know. Thank goodness people are, you know, right on the money with, with uh, calling out these lies, you know. Let's, let's just stick to the facts. Um, yeah, well, well, that's one of the unfortunate things I've been seeing. We sort of digressed off Western Australia already. Um, we'll get back to you, Western Australia. Don't worry. But um, yes, no, but but lies are kind of like the um, it's, it's the currency of campaigning, basically. I mean, the electoral laws, once you're in campaign mode, the electoral laws actually allow it. You, you know, you can actually sort of say anything you want, which is just sort of really quite absurd. I mean, sort of talking about sort of giving you know throwing your hands up in the air and sort of giving up but um yeah and it's the one of the main problems with the state of the media at the moment in australia with the mainstream media is that you know half of them or more than half of them are basically actively boosting and promoting this sort of nonsense um um, some of the rest are trying and some of them are neutered. Um, uh, some of them don't want to try too hard. Some of them are sort of uh, don't have resources to deal with it. Some of them don't have the expertise to call it out. Um, it's actually a bit of a worry, which is sort of underlines the importance of websites like um, ours and it podcasts does. like this one. It's right on the money. Right on the money. Oh, After, oh, oh, I want to shout out your old mate down at Media Watch too. I watched Media Watch last night, which we quite often have a good chuckle about where they're pretty good at calling out the facts uh, and uh, unraveling some of this stuff from time to time. But the WA, let's get back to some solar news. WA, uh, we mentioned last episode that um, the rules were changing and the um, uh, emergency uh, solar rules were coming into place. They came into place, in fact, yesterday as we go to air. Um, so from midnight 
last night. Uh, you're now required to comply. You can do it with a meter or you can do it with improved in, an approved inverter. I went looking for the list of improved in, approved inverters the other day, in fact, just to you know, do some DD on uh, what was going on and have a bit of a sniff around. And to my great surprise, I actually found the list had gone. Um, someone had screenshotted it, luckily, and sent it through to me and said, here you go, here it is. It's a pretty short list. There's six inverter brands listed that uh, were improved. Approved yeah. uh, for use. Just six, I think. There's more than Just there's six. more than there's more than that invert number of inverter brands in the brands in the world, aren't there? There's uh, there's more than that uh, for sale in Australia uh, by about six million percent. Um, but um, it's an election mode. We can say things. Um, but no, there there it was pulled down. But then it has gone back up over the last few days, which is great. Uh, double the number now. So there's twelve brands of inverters improve, approved for use for export uh, remote export control, like we have in South Australia, which now applies in WA. So you can choose from twelve brands. It's a bigger list than that when you take into account all the different models that all those brands have. It's a pretty limited market if you want to do it via inverters at the moment. Now, now Synergy and Western Power did talk about the fact that they were rapidly trying to uh, um, uh, get more on there. And I've actually had a couple of calls from inverter manufacturers over the last few months saying, geez, can you help us get on that list? What can you do? Blah, blah, blah. blah. So, yeah, there's a few bumps in the road I, ahead, I suspect, in terms of supply chain and choice in WA to comply with these new rules, or you're going to have to slap a slap a meter in there, which um, which will do the same thing, effectively. Well, it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, just to point out, if people are a bit confused about last night and tonight and, and things like that, when this went to air, this has actually been recorded now on a Tuesday, so you did mean Monday night when it actually sort of came into um, effect, um, and some people might not be listening this to Wednesday or Thursday. But anyway, um, it's interesting. The South Australia um, solar switch, I think that's been in place for just over a year now, but it's only been used once, I think, as uh, as far as I know. Nigel, is that right? No, no, it's been used more no. than once. No, I can tell you that. And I know for a fact that uh, last time I counted, it's a while since I've checked in with our guys, but of course, being a relevant agent, we get notifications of impending events that we may be required to... Um, you know, activate controls on the remote inverters that we manage down in South Australia as a relevant agent. Uh, last time I checked, we'd had six, I think it was, notifications. And as far as I'm aware, there were three or four, perhaps, events where they actually curtailed demand. So not a whole heap. But of course, where this gets really interesting is because is is in in the next year or two, and particularly in Western Australia, if solar keeps growing at the rate that it's been historically growing over there, the penetration level is going to go up. The challenges for the grid are going to go up if the grid doesn't catch up and modernise their uh, their uh, existing fleet and control systems. And so these, like, these events are more likely to occur as time passes. So, you know, I wouldn't, I would say that the, the, the probability of an event occurring is quite low a few times a year, perhaps based on the South Australian example, but in Western Australia, it'd be really interesting to see. You would expect that it's going to happen more frequently than it did in South Australia because South Australia is interconnected. Western Australia is not. So um, yeah, that'd be fascinating to watch. 
It will indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. And, um, and South Australia is about to get even more connected because they just started construction uh, this week. Started, uh, they erected the first transmission poles for the new transmission link, which is going to go to um, New South Wales, which will hasten uh, that state, uh, the South Australia, that is um, transition to 100% renewables. I think the current target is about 2030, but probably get there around about 2026, 2027 um, at the latest at this stage. In fact, possibly even 2025 when this new transmission link is actually going to be up and operating, um, just given the size and the scale of the projects being built now and of course the um, installations being um, running um, still in rooftop solar even if we don't get to three gigawatts we'll still get to um, this year uh, it'll still be a significant addition to um, to the rooftop capacity um, around um, around the country um, Carton of Beer says we top three gigawatts this year Carton of Beer? Carton of Beer Okay, check I've in got a check in in December. I reckon we'll okay. get more than three gigawatts. Beer. Yeah, um, look, under my new sort of drinking protocol now, I'm actually just sort of buying zero alcohol beer, um, for consumption at home. Is that okay if I give you a carton of zero alcohol beer, Nigel? That's totally fine. I've actually got some zero alcohol beer on the shelf. It's been there for quite some time. It's been there for quite some time. So, yes, yeah, it's a lot of use. Fantastic. No, no. no. My, uh, my, uh, my daughter and my grandson have come to visit. For, uh, so I'm seeing my grandson for the fe- second time in his six-month life this week, which is delightful. And my daughter's on the zero beers, which is, which is lovely. So I've been sharing a zero with her occasionally. Oh, very good. Grandpa mm. Nigel, how's, how's, how's it fitting as grandpa? I think I'm about to become a grandpa too now, a few months' time. Is that right? Yes. Privileges. Oh my goodness! I got privileges up the wazoo. Things you can things you can call out when you're a granddad, mate. Privileges up the wazoo. Not too sure. That's sort of a really common expression, but uh, (laughs) I think I think we better move on to the next episode. Yeah, it's an episode first. I think I think I think which the next item is entitled Ungi Bungi Boo. I think you better explain that one. Well, the Ungie is one of those things that <laughs> you and your esteemed uh, colleague on um, Energy Insiders have talked about at at length about the Ungie process that was announced oh, what, three years ago, um, you know, which was sounded like a rot, smelt like a rot. Turns out it was a rot. Um, right, so it was a complete waste of time. This is Angus Taylor who came in just soon after he was appointed in 2000. Um, God, what was it, 18? Yes, 2018. And yep. he said there's too much wind and solar on the grid. We'd need more dispatchable generation. So he put That's out right. a tender. It was done very, very quickly. He said this is a matter of urgency. Um, rushed it out the door. Um, yep. Did a short list of 12, um, about five or six gas projects. I think about five or six pumped hydro projects. So this will all get done um, yep. very, very quickly. And Agre- Agreed to underwrite them. them. Yeah, they don't see them underwriting renewables no. projects, but coal and gas, no worries. Gus came no, out, no, said no, he was going to no. do it. How many have been done, Giles? Oh, a big fat zero there, Nigel. Big fat zero. Zero. And what zero. was the promise? That, well, the promise that they made was that they were going to reduce the cost of energy by 25 to 30% by 2021. That was last year using gas and coal-fired plants that haven't actually happened. That was the promise that they made. None of it's gone ahead. The reduction happened almost. Uh, thanks, I think to, close thanks to, to wind that. and solar. Thanks to wind and solar. Yes, yes, Fancy yes. That. That's Fancy right, yes. That. Although that's not what happened if you're Snowy Hydro, which is the government-owned um, uh, uh, Jen Taylor, which was on, uh, who were in um, Senate Estimates um, this week saying all sorts of um, 
quite amazing thing. It, it sounded like Angus Taylor here. It's just sort of three different personalities, basically. Um, wind and solar didn't bring down prices. It was uh, brown coal that brought down prices, and um, there must be about the only people who actually think that. Um, gas, the new gas plant in Curry Curry, which Angus Taylor would probably claim as a win for Ungi, even though it's a completely separate thing because it's basically wholly owned by the government, and they just basically just threw all this tax pays money at it. Um, and according to Snowy Hydro, uh, the gas generator is going to lower emissions, not increase emissions. It's going to lower emissions by several megatons, whatever they are, because it will allow more wind and solar into the grid, even though this thing will only be used um, about once in the blue moon. Um, hydrogen capable too, I believe. Oh, hydrogen capable, yes, up to about 10%. Um, or maybe 15% if they sort of you know, draw a few ma magic numbers and pull some magic strings. And, and, and of course, according to Snowy Hydro, um, batteries uh, don't work. They're not against batteries, they just don't think they work very well. So, um, but, um, Ooh, but there you those, go. Yes. Those, those 30,000 yes. people a year who are investing their money and uh, smiling all the way to the bank are clearly wrong. Well, and the people behind the 26 gigawatts of battery storage sitting in the pipeline on AEMO's books. Um, not to mention the 600 megawatts of battery out there working quite well at the moment, actually, and sort of yeah, um, making money, making money, making making money, money. Too, yeah. and yeah. allowing um, the um, grid operators to sort of operate the um, the grid um, sometimes without any gas generation, which is probably the thing that pains people like Snowy the most, yeah. thinking, how can they do this? They don't need yeah. us. No. Yeah. Oh. No, no, so no, right back anyway. to the title, Ungie Bungie Boo. Ungie a bit serious. <laughs> Doesn't really make sense. No one knows what it means. Didn't actually happen. Ungie Bungie Boo. I wonder whether one of these ministers is actually going to turn up to the opening or even just not the opening or just just the operation of a wind or solar farm. I mean, there hasn't been a picture of a single coalition minister um, at a wind or solar farm in basically the near decade they've been in power. Um, the one exception is I think Malcolm Turnbull did the attend the opening of one solar farm up in New South Wales um, at 2000 and whatever it was, 16, 17. And Scott Morrison found himself escorted by Andrew Forrest uh, to a solar farm up in the Pilbara next to his iron ore mine, which he didn't really want to talk about. In fact, he didn't actually talk about. And Tim Wilson, the, um, the former um, Institute of Public Affairs climate policy man, uh, which was basically arguing that wasn't happening, um, has been seen actively promoting a few rooftop solar panels in some yacht clubs in Sydney and Melbourne as part of the community funding program, um, which is nice, but it's probably most not, not the most needy people in the world. Um, um, you know what, Charles? I don't think we need them. I reckon, I reckon next time someone opens up a big plant, I want to see Grace Tame playing a ukulele at the opening. <laughs> Get her to say a few words. There's some headlines. <laughs> she can she can learn the, she can learn the second line of um, uh, April Sun in Cuba. Maybe bless her. Bless, yes, she'll know the second line. Bloody <laughs> hell! Oh dear. There goes the solar analytics antenna. It's fallen off the back of the desk. <laughs> um, <laughs> if you're just hearing a bang. <laughs> I'm going to have to talk to you about that and installing that. Um, what's next on the menu, Nigel? This is getting a bit untidy. Yeah, some good news. Some some exciting. Uh, I haven't picked up on one of these little good news stories where I just go, ah, see, that's really a really cool use of solar. It's got multiple benefits. So solar canals, a variation on photovoltaics. I read a little article the other day about a 2021 study. So if nice and recent where they'd actually had a look at um, the public water infrastructure in California. Did you know, Giles, there's 4,000 miles 
of canals, uh, uh, irrigation canals in California. And they've actually done a study now. They've worked out they could fit 13 gigawatts of solar panels strung across these canals. Uh, It's obviously, you know, you know, if you you're not using up land by doing that, which is which is a good thing uh, in many cases where there isn't land available. Uh, there's there's presumably very little, if any, cost associated with stringing it across these canals. And of course, the benefit is you reduce evaporation. Sixty three billion gallons of water evaporation, in fact. So uh, I, I love the idea and and agrivoltaics, photovoltaics, solar canals. You know, doubling down on the benefits that you can get, not just from generating energy, but also, you know, insulation benefits on buildings, all these other things. I just love the symbiotic uh, nature of projects uh, or, or concepts like this. Um, whether they'll go ahead or not remains to be seen. Of course, there are always challenges when you're doing these types of things, but we've seen a number of photovoltaic projects take place in Australia over the last year or so, uh, particularly. And, of course, internationally, there's been some huge ones. Um, so solar canals, bring them on, I say. Fantastic. Well, California's going to need something like that because they've just um, their Public Utilities Commission has just set a new target, which I think is about 73% renewables to sort of as part of their sort of emissions reduction target over the next decade, and that will require another 25 gigawatts of um, wind and solar capacity plus, um, I can't quite remember how many gigawatts of, um, of storage. I think it might be 19 gigawatts. But um, it's certainly in the double figures. But, um, yes, interesting. Um, so there's a bunch of sort of different countries and sort of nation states. Uh, well, California's the fifth biggest economy in the world. But you've got Europe, um, you've got uh, or, or Germany, um, California. And even Australia, effectively, has got a renewable energy target sort of assumption of between 70 and 80-something percent by 2030 when you think about it, because those that's the modelling that underpins both the federal government's um, own emissions projection, 70% renewables by 2030, if you can believe that, under the current government, or 80% under, the, um, under a Labor government, should they win power in the May election. So it's quite fascinating to see this sort of, you know, the, the pace of the transition that is assumed um, and in, in other cases just sort of mandated. Um, so um, th- things, um, things will start to happen very quickly, I think, in this, uh, as, as, we, as we charge above um, the current levels. Yeah, you're right. And, and, and that's where these projects start to become really viable, even though they've got to, might have a higher cost than a, you know, a ground matter project, for example, where the land's really, really cheap. Um, uh, and, and so these really interesting symbiotic projects or projects, you know, getting other benefits, they're the ones that are going to start to come to, come to fore. And that'll just open up the opportunity for the entire market over the coming years as the costs continue to fall. As the barriers continue to to drop away, so yeah, um, I, I think these targets. I mean, historically, all these targets have been low. Uh, so I think you know, chances are we'll start to see more and more interesting projects as as we um, smash these targets out of the out of the universe. Absolutely. Well, we should be aiming for one hundred percent renewables, and we should be doing it within a decade. Um, if we can't quite get there because it's hard to get the last five or ten percent, then so be it. But um, that's the sort of thing that we need to be aiming for, um, because that's what the science demands that um, or shows that we need to do to address um, global warming and climate change. And I think that's right. And there's and there's a trillion jobs at stake. There's a trillion jobs. 
Well, it's gone up from six million for million in this podcast. Oh, so. <laughs> we're moving forward, <laughs> moving forward at a rapid pace. Uh, look, it's an, it's called inflation and it's back. Um, <laughs> but um, but that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Um, Nigel, um, what are we doing now? Um, we could possibly just sort of dive. How about great solar business? Oh, you oh, great solar business. That's all about great, great solar, solar business. business. Yeah, a little plug about great solar business. Got a really interesting conversation that's coming up on the next episode, actually, about a brand new PV technology. Uh, so I've got a special guest. I'm not going to give away who it is. I'm not going to talk about the tech yet. But oh. I caught up with someone the other week and went, oh, man, you've got to come on the show because this is actually really cool. You're doing some good stuff. There's good stories about local innovation, local investment, local business opportunities, plus a really good connection to some very, very famous international people. So uh, stand by for that next episode. Fantastic. And just remind us too, if you missed the last episode, Great Solar Business, an interview with Warwick Johnson from Sunwiz. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, really interesting, actually. And it's funny, I was Warwick and I uh, always have a good yak and we talked about statistics and data and what's important and how you can help your business and all those kinds of things. And I was, oh, I was talking, talking to my old mate, Zach, out in Western New South Wales today, actually. G'day, Zach, if you're listening. And um, lo and behold, Zach was lamenting this, the very challenge that Warwick and I touched on, which is, you know, when it's all said and done, to survive in solar, you've got to deal with ever-declining costs, uh, which means less revenue for the same amount of work. Uh, you've got challenges left, right, and centre around regulation and everything else. And so how do you survive through all of that? And the answer is business efficiency, optimization automation all those types of things so it was it was it was ironic to interview uh warwick and without any prompting to to have him raise all those issues um which we hear about so often on great solar business and then to talk to a a real human who's dealing with these challenges every day and hear him talking about in fact he was the second person i talked to in a week i said the way i'm going to survive in business is by automating and streamlining and getting more efficient so that i can keep my margins up because at the end of the day it is a very very low margin business so um yeah let's not try and automate this podcast uh, no i just think we'll just take away this little thing uh, spontaneity from the uh the jutspa from the, <laughs> right. the what? Something. The something. <laughs> Let's take a message from one of our sponsors. Sunwiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. Sunwiz now offers a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers. Differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation that builds referrals. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. And, of course, we'd like to thank all our sponsors, um, Sunwiz, Kernergy uh, and uh, Solar Analytics for their continued ongoing support for this um, podcast. Nigel, we might indulge ourselves with a bit of EV chatter for the moment. Um, it's getting pretty hard to buy an electric vehicle in Australia at the moment. Um, I think we sold about 20,000 in 2020, which sent, 2021, sorry, which sounded fantastic, but 12,000 of those were Tesla Model 3s. Mostly because mm -hmm. you can get one pretty quickly within about four or six weeks. The uh, latest news is that you're now going to have to wait six to seven months um, for a Model 3. We've still got no sign of the Model Y, which a lot of people have been hanging out for. 
There's a couple of other juicy little um, numbers have come up, things like the Polestar and the Volvo and the Ionic 5 and the EV6, which I'll be lucky enough to test drive um, in Canberra later on this week. Um, but good luck trying to get hold of one because in each of those instances, there's only a couple of hundred available. And, of course, VW aren't even bothering bringing any of their electric vehicles, um, which are sort of now, you know, sort of top-selling in Europe, the ID3 and the ID4, they're not coming to Australia. Um, it's a bit frustrating because the I think the uh, the door is open. People are really quite interested now, but um, going to be frustrated by the lack of supply. It's um, pretty annoying. Um, we actually had on 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 the driven uh, our EV focus website. We had more than one million page views in a single week last week. Um, yeah, unbelievable. Um, it's just sort of going off. It's just like there's a huge amount of interest in everything, sort of EV and things like that. Um, that actually is one of the, the things that underpinned that was sort of, you know, charger wars about, you know, what, what do people do when they turn up at an EV charging station and someone's uh, sort of sitting there and they've got the plug in and they've already charged up. Do you have the right to unplug that vehicle or not? Yes, yes. Ooh. I made a comment on that post. There was there were yeah. some fiery comments there. Oh, there were some fiery comments there. What was your comment there, Nigel? How it was constructive? Oh, I thought it was very constructive. Uh, gosh, I can't remember the name of the app now, but uh, when I did a trip down the south coast, there was a terrific uh, QR code promotion stuck to most of the charging stations down there that said, hey, are you an EV user? Are you using this charger? Use this QR code. Sign up to this app that uh, allows... You, us to help you share communication with other EV owners so that if you want to tell them that you've arrived and you want to charge and they're plugged in, you can communicate directly with them and politely say, do you mind if I unplug so that I can get a top up because I can see that your EV's finished charging? Uh, Australian made app too and abs- absolutely wonderful. So I signed up immediately for it and I think it's a, I think it's a, great, a great simple initiative to allow cross-communication because often people will leave their EV look at their watch and go yeah it's going to take about half an hour they get caught up they're still doing something 45 minutes later and of course there's no reason why someone shouldn't be able to unplug if everything's done courteously and respectfully and and with good communication so apps like that i think are the simple answer probably more ev charging stations would help as well but that's starting to happen now but um, um which actually well, means in australia well in, in australia we might actually get to the point now we've actually got sort of plenty of ev charging stations in relation to the number of actual vehicles <laughs> right there because we can't no. get any more vehicles so um right. you know so um maybe it's the delay that we had to have but it's pretty yeah. frustrating for those wanting to there's a lot of people sitting in there in old sort of buckets of sort of you know internal getting petrol and diesel cars and they're going oh no i'm sick of this now i really want to move on to evs i was told they're going to be cheap i was told they're going to be available i I want one now. I'm ex- going to go and pay a little bit more than what I thought I was going to pay, but I just want one. But um, can't get one. Yep, yep. Mm. On the flip side of that, huge news about Vita G uh, a couple of days ago with the announcement that I can't remember their name either. It was on your website. Jet there was com- Jet. It was. It was Jet Charge to announce the import of a Spanish Vita D char- Vita G charger or Vita H charger, um, which is super super cool. I've been playing around the fringes of Vita G for for years and tried to get a couple of projects off the ground with Vita G seven or eight years ago actually. And and it, it just to me it has such it again it's that symbiosis right. It's let's use this 
car slash battery on wheels for more than one purpose to extract more value out of it. Simple proposition. Uh, helps um, in multiple ways. Um, and, um, yeah, really, really exciting to see that product finally um, hit the market in Australia. According to the press that I saw, it's going to be start becoming available in a few weeks. Again, in limited supply, mostly for some fleet trials. And, of course, there are some challenges to overcome uh, around DNSPs and approvals for selling energy and how it's going to actually operate. And presumably they've gone through all of this and, uh, and, and got well, some modes that are going to work. They were supposed to go through this about two years ago when the first Nissan Leafs came out with their own sort of V2G technology and their charging stations and this sort of two-way bi-directional stuff. That was happened. They've been trialling that for goodness knows how long. I'm not too sure what the delay is. Um, everyone kind of understands that this is where we're going with the grid. We need to sort of get this right. We need to have this, this ability. Um, by the time we get sort of, you know, half the fleet over towards being electric, that's just going to be a fantastic resource. Um, and, and, and also a problem if it's not managed properly, but, I mean, you know, there's no reason why um, that should be the case. Um, but, um, yes, Australia seems to be very, very good at trials of things. Just endless amounts of trials. Oh, we love a good trial. We love a good trial. Oh, yeah. me. Yes, totally. But um, sometimes you can just kind of move on and actually just implement. I'm not too sure what yeah. the delay is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, it's, it's interesting because it's a – I, I immediately went, oh, this is going to be great. You know, they've got, uh, you know, they've got this charger and I've been keeping an eye on the V2D char v chargers for some time. When I went to Germany to Intersolar a few years ago, there was, you know, dozens of the things there that you could buy. And one of the big challenges, of course, was having um, a vehicle that would actually allow it to happen. And, um, you know, at the current time in, in Australia, there's only two vehicles I was bitterly disappointed i kind of got my credit card out and was getting on the website ready to order one so i could use my live wire as a v2g home battery and went oh of course harley don't support it, sadly uh it's only nissan and one model of mitsubishi at the moment which is a bit sad but early days it'll come the fact that there's um, some coming into the country, they've got approval. They're going to actually start deploying them and using them. We're going to learn some real fast lessons. Fabulous news. Really exciting. Good stuff. Now, you've got some exciting news about electric, electric motorcycles too with a big increase in sales and a very interesting, very useful guide coming up sometime soon. Well, I think it's interesting. Uh, listeners might not agree, but, you know, uh, let me ask you this, Giles. Which of the EV sectors in Australia, uh, you've got three different primary sectors that the ABS count statistics on. You've got passenger vehicles, you've got electric motorcycles, and you've got heavy transport. Which one grew the fastest last year? You tell me, Nigel. Ah, once again, electric motorcycles swooping in to save the day by being cool and exceptionally uh, uh, attractive, uh, clearly, because electric motorcycles grew uh, bigger than any segment last year, 107% growth, in fact, in 2021, according to the ABS, smashing growth despite the influx of um, Teslas uh, and, and, and huge numbers that went in, 59% uh, growth in the segment in uh, the passenger vehicle segment, and poor old trucks and heavy vehicles only grew by 1%. Um, now, of course, we're a small number. There's a couple of thousand of electric motorcycles on the road versus you know 10 times as many passenger vehicles on the road. However, uh, what that growth tells you is that there is demand. 
um, and there is there is a real interest in um, not not only you know model threes and model x's and and um you know electric buses and everything else but there's a real demand for uh electric motorcycles in this country that is slowly but short well rapidly growing from a small base um this leads me to an article that uh, i've been pulling together which i thought was well overdue to be written by someone and uh, so why not me uh which is a 2022 electric motorcycle buying guide and in fact i scoured the world looking for statistics, uh, extrapolating results from as many markets as I could to get a sense of how big is this market? Who are the winners in this market? Who's, who's, you know, what kind of technology is working uh, uh, the best? Uh, what segments are, are really taking off? What are people promising? And there's been some big announcements. Triumph made announcement this week, displayed a pre-production prototype of one of their uh, uh, pre-production uh, fully electric Triumph electric motorcycles. Uh, I've already mentioned Ducati, obviously heading towards Moto E uh, in 2023, and a bunch of other really good announcements as well. So I pulled all of them together. It may, it's. I think it's going to make. It's going to be a little bit long because you know can't help myself, but. It was really interesting to pull it together and look at all those stats holistically and really get a sense for what's what's happening in the market. Uh, and there's some really, really nice local stories that I've teased out of that, including talking to a couple of manufacturers to get an update on where they're at. So um, look out for that coming soon. I will look out for that, Nigel. But I'll look forward to editing this rather long and detailed <laughs> article. It should be um, highlight of my day. Highlight of my day. You're quite good at editing my articles. <laughs> I've had a lot of practice. Um, <laughs> Nigel, um, I think that's pretty much a wrap for the week, isn't it? Or the fortnight? I think it is. I think absolutely. Remember to take diary notes next time when I ask you how last fortnight was being. <laughs> Start a, start a diary out right now. Start a diary out right. Yeah, absolutely. And look, um, thanks a lot, mate. Um, great to talk to you. Look forward to next week's great solar business um, podcast with our mystery guest of this um, mysterious new solar PV technology. Sounds interesting. Um, check out, we've got an interview also um, with Saul Griffith um, from the Big Switch. Um, he's actually a bit of an EV fan himself. He's actually going to convert a Monaro. He's going to take it down to um, um, Summonats down in Canberra. Oh. Electric oh. Monaro. Just imagine that. Electric Monaro, oh. Summonats. I mean, it's one thing for a Tesla to go there and sort of, you know, show their pants off an electric Monaro. Now that's going to set the cat amongst the pigeons. That's going to set the cat amongst the pigeons. Deary me. Yeah, it might have to come with its own artificial sound. But still, um, anyway, there's there's that. So ch check out that. And, Nigel, um, thanks again to our sponsors, of course, SunWiz Solar Analytics and Clenergy. And um, thanks to you. Enjoy <laughs> being a grandfather for the next um, little while um, with the visit of the grandchild. And, uh, yeah, I certainly will. I'll get, him, I'll get him to work on starting on my diary. Don't do that. Don't do that. Thanks, everyone. Bye for now. We'll be back again in a fortnight. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. 
Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. SunWiz's partnership with OpenSolar will amplify the value delivered by their world-leading solar software platform. With pro setup, training and assistance, run your business at maximum velocity. Visit sunwiz.com.au. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Visit solaranalytics.com.au.